Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who rules the wind and the wave. Amen. I came across a cartoon in which it was pictured a journalist and a congressman. In the background stood Capitol Hill, and he was being interviewed at a time when the country was falling apart. The journalist asks, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. What do you have to say, Congressman? The Congressman responds, invest in handbaskets. It's a very typical American pragmatic way of looking at things, isn't it? As everything's falling apart and the world is, is going to hell in a handbasket, what else is there for us to do than distract ourselves with money and pleasure and excitement? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. When Jonah boards that ship, it is at a time when he might say that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. He boards that ship and ends up trapped in this great storm where it seems everyone's going to lose their lives. What, are, what is Jonah thinking? And what are we thinking when we find ourselves on the ship that's going to sink and we look around at these sailors? Jonah looks around at these sailors and what do these men mean to him? He's paid the fare, perhaps even paid the full cost of the voyage, the ship, its cargo, and its crew. He says, the text says that he goes down into the ship. He puts himself to sleep. He's in a deep sleep, and he figures the rest is up to the sailors. It's their job to navigate this sea and to bring them safely where they're going. To him, these sailors are probably nothing more than a means to an end. They're just nothing more than hired hands that are supposed to get their job done. And not only that, they're sailors. They're pagan sailors. They have no names in the story. They're just men. They're buccaneers. They're privateers. They're corsairs. Or they even perhaps pirates at times. And it's their job to get Jonah safely to Tarshish, the place he is going to flee from the presence of the Lord. So what are they to him? They're really not much different than the Ninevites that he was running away from that he didn't want to help. And what is Jonah to the sailors? A man with money, a man with means. He's anonymous to them. They have to ask him where he's come from. But they know he's paid quite a bit to get on this ship. And he's perhaps paid their paychecks. To Jonah, these men are just the other people. And to these sailors, Jonah's just this other guy. Everyone is consumable. Until the intervention of God. The God of heaven and earth who draws all these people. Who otherwise would pay no other attention to each other and their future are caught up and awakened to this truth. They're all in it together. How much of our daily lives 
are spent just going through life. The people around us are nothing more than a means to an end. Objects. Objects of our judgment, our scorn, our gossip. Objects of our lust, our longing, our fantasy. Objects of our hatred, our jealousy, our greed. Objects of our inconvenience, like homeless people who need to just get out of the way. Until we find ourselves in a situation where we need the other person, where that other person is useful to us, the Uber driver who needs to get me to the airport on time, or the hamburger flipper that needs to get me my hamburger on time, or the lawn care keeper that needs to get my grass cut on time. How much of American politics, business, and religion is nothing more than nameless objects meant to serve our convenience and get us where we want to be? Until, of course, the maker of heaven and earth intervenes and a time of distress comes upon us. I had been down in Charleston doing some visiting this last Friday, and we went to a historical place. It was the old dungeon, which was also used as a, an exchange center. If you head down to the harbor, you find this building with the white columns. It's got three stories, and top two stories were used for historic meetings. George Washington came there. And then also in the lower level for a time of war was a storage area turned into a prison. And so we visited this museum and got to see it with our own eyes. And they said that in that lower level during the Revolutionary War, they housed prisoners, 50 to 60 men and women. And some of these men were traitors to uh, the British Empire, so the British locked them up there. But it also were British soldiers who had dere were derelict of their duty. There were slaves. There were women. There were wealthy landowners caught funding the rebellion. There were poor who couldn't pay their taxes at all, and then there were just plain criminals. All of these people at a time of crisis just shoved into this little area from all different walks of life. What would that have been like? They were all in it together, whether they liked it or not. The Lord brings these moments of judgment, these moments of crisis on us, on our land, on our nation, on our family, not in order to get us to panic and jump overboard, but in order to show us we're all part of this world together. And so they asked Jonah these questions, questions meant to get at who he is because they don't know him. They say, what is your job? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? His identity. Where he comes from, what he does. So there's four things that we notice they have in common in the end. Four things that Jonah doesn't realize they have in common. The first thing they have in common is their humanity. When they ask Jonah these questions... What's your job? Where do you come from? He, he answers the last one first. In fact, he never answers the first one, what, what he's actually doing there. But he answers the last one first. And he says, I am a Hebrew. 
Now that name comes from the story of the Old Testament all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was the first Hebrew. And Jonah sees himself and he sees his identity as a person first and foremost as ethnic. He sees his ethnic heritage, his heritage of his father, his grandfather before him, and what that means to trace it all the way back to the great Abraham. He's a Hebrew. To Jonah, he's a Hebrew, and these are sailors. And these sailors are probably longtime enemies of the Hebrews. Most of these sailors, if they came from Joppa, would trace their heritage back to the Philistines. So the Philistines lived on the coast. They were a sailing and seafaring people, pirates, and they were known for their trade. They were masters of shipbuilding and seafaring. And probably these sailors, if they came from Joppa, were descended from the Philistines. And you probably remember the greatest Philistine story in the Bible is Goliath. That's not a happy heritage between these two parties. These sailors worship other gods. One of the sea gods was named Dagon, a half man, half fish god. The one they worshiped as David and the Israelites called on the name of their Lord. You couldn't have people that were more different. But for Jonah, he should know better. When he says that this is the God who made the heavens and the earth, it's tracing the story all the way back to the beginning. The one who made all people. The one who made Adam and Eve. And if you remember, we're all descended from Adam and Eve. When God created Adam and Eve, he made them in his image and in his likeness. He made them special as a category of life that was meant to represent him and his image. And that included Adam, that included Eve, that included the Hebrews, that included the Philistines. They have something in common that they don't realize, and it's their humanity. How often do we overlook this at a time of distress or argument or politics? How often do we get caught up in all of the differences and forget that all human beings have this in common. It doesn't matter if you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're a landowner who's wealthy. It doesn't matter if you're homeless and addicted to drugs. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. And when God sent Jesus into the world, it was to fulfill the mission of Abraham, which was to reunite all nations with the gospel. Which is why he says that when we come to church, we're not all different people. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Well, that draws us together, not just in humanity, but because we have a common humanity, we have a common God. When they ask him the question, what is your country? They're not just wondering where his home is. They're trying to locate who Jonah's God is. You see, what probably worried the sailors most was not that Jonah was here and he was somehow related to this problem, but he had angered his God. 
and they want to find out who this god is. So in their day, they believed that the gods govern a certain location. So if you were from Philistine, you would have the god Dagon, who was your, in charge of your location. If you were a Canaanite, you would have another god like Baal, who was the god of, of war and weather and childbearing. They would know the story of Baal that comes, we've seen on a, a tablet that was restored from ancient times, telling the story of how Baal conquered the sea god, Yom. Is that the god we need to call on? Or the Assyrians who had a sky god named Anu, who would send evil spirits on seven storm clouds to direct and govern and threaten the people of earth. Do we need to call on that God? When Jonah names his God, it makes him even more afraid. He names his God as Yehovah, the Lord, the one who made not just the land, but the sea also, the one who not just governs his location in Jerusalem, but governs the heavens and the earth. In verse 5, it says the sailors were afraid, but when it says they found this out in verse 10, now it says they were exceedingly afraid. In one way or another, all people are following a God. When the journalist asks, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, what are you going to do about it? The politician reveals who his God is. I'm going to make more money. The businessman reveals who his God is. That expression, I, I looked up, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and it was used during the 19th century gold rush. And the saying was, had to do with miners who would have this basket-like contraption they would put a miner into to send them down the shaft to set explosives. And so as he's going down with this gunpowder and all these explosives, they'd say he was going to hell in a handbasket because it was so dangerous. A lot of those men died from different accidents, the rope breaking, the explosives going off at the wrong time. As they lowered these men down the shaft, how much were they getting paid? And when their life was lost, what did it matter to the people in charge? To the chief engineer, maybe he cared. To the owner of the mining company, maybe he had a little more invested. To the wealthy aristocrat, the landowner who is funding all of this, what was this man other than an employee There are gods in our lands that don't go by the same names they might have had in Jonah's day, but they have names of their own. They go by names like the market or the god of the schedule or the god of baseball season or the god of the job title, the god of the goal, the god, whatever that god is, that has found you in your life that is trying to get you to Tarshish. That's the gods that tempt us into idolatry. 
they realize that there's this common God Jonah worships that is watching over all gods. They call him the God Most High. And they begin praying to him. And it's embarrassing to hear about Jonah, the one who represents the God of the Old Testament, the God of inspiration. And while the sailors see what's going on, they discern it, they pray about it, Jonah's sleeping in his cabin. Do they realize they're all in the same boat? And because they're all in the same boat, what that God decides to do to Jonah is what that God is going to do to all of the crew. There's plenty of space today for us to lament problems. When we look around and we hear wars in Ukraine and rumors of wars with Russia, when we see lies or deception at the highest levels of leadership, we hear about economic uncertainty, we witness moral decay, values, integrity, family values, and life eroding. It's easy for us to stand alongside the journalists and be asking these questions. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. What are you going to do? The ir- but one thing we can't do, as much as we lament, is complain or stop caring. The irony of Jonah's response is that when he says, I fear the Lord, these sailors are proving they fear the Lord much more than Jonah. Jonah doesn't fear the Lord in the way that he's supposed to. He only imagines he does. And it shows us a picture of a very religious person who basically says, I go to church. I go to church every Sunday. I give my money to the church. I do lots of work around the church. I belong to the right church denomination. I subscribe to the right doctrine. I'm a Lutheran. Or I'm a Hebrew. I belong to this group or that group. And what happens to the others? Well, that's their fault. That's their choice. I'm in the right place. Everything becomes about us or them, about those who are in or those who are out. There's a story of persecution of Muslims in the Netherlands. And the story is that there was a Dutch filmmaker who was a conservative Christian and an extremist Muslim killed this filmmaker. And as retaliation, people were coming and burning down mosques. Finally, in order to bring a stop to this, there were Christian churches that said this is wrong, and they began to post Christians around the mosques to guard them, to fend off people who were coming to do violence. We're all in the same boat. And we're all trying to get back to the same God. And we're all facing a common fate. In the end, we all have a problem with sin. And if Christians respond with anger or superiority or arrogance, or if we respond by not caring at all what happens to others, well then we end up being the one that causes the shipwreck rather than the one that spares it. And the sailors realize this. They say, what have you done? But Jesus knows that we are too weak. He knows that we are sinners. 
And so he gets into the boat with us. Jesus was on the cross next to two pagan sinners. And when he was on the cross, those two men who had done probably horrible crimes, if not just theft, rebellion, and murder. And there he is on the cross, and one of them is mocking Jesus, saying, come down from the cross if you're the Son of God and save us too. But the other one says, don't mock him. Don't you see we have the same fate as him? And yet we deserve it, and he doesn't. So Jesus gets into the boat. He shares the common fate, the common humanity, the common God, the common fate, and he delivers to us the common grace. The grace that is not just for Jonah, but it's for every one of those sailors. When the sailors ask Jonah, what is your job? You notice he never answers that. Why? Why doesn't Jonah want to answer the question, what is your job? It's the same reason every one of us would not want to answer that question. It's the same reason every one of us would be embarrassed, ashamed, because Jonah knows what his job is. Our identity as Christians doesn't come from our ethnicity. It doesn't come from our heritage. It doesn't come from our denomination. And it doesn't come from our job. It's not based on what we do or don't do. We're not saved because we have done all the right things, and we're not, not saved because we've done all the wrong things. Our identity comes from Christ and the grace that he has given to us by giving up himself on the cross. That is who we are. But who we are shapes what we do. That defines our calling and our work. Our identity does shape our job. And Jonah's job as a Hebrew, as a prophet, was not just to save himself and his people, but Abraham was sent as a blessing to all the families of the earth. The mission of salvation is not just to get us through and get us to heaven. The gospel is here so that as we're going through it, we can deliver others to transform the places and people that we need. To realize we're all in this boat together. And there is one God watching over it. So as the world looks at us, and as we look at the world and say, it's going to hell in a handbasket, well, here's what Jesus says. Invest in him. Invest in the only one who can deliver us from the storm, from the strife, from the distress, and from eternal damnation. Invest in Jesus, because Jesus went down in the handbasket. He went down with all the risk, all the danger, all the the torment of death into hell, and he came out alive. He came out in his resurrection to declare that death had no more power over us, to call on the God who delivers us from every trial and know that he does hear us and he wants to save the Ninevites and he wants to save the sailors and he wants Jonah and us to realize that. Every life that we touch is a life that God wants to touch. Every life 
that is afflicted by the enemy and idolatry is a life that Jesus wants to conquer. The enemy and gods that he wants to prove he has victory over. And there is no one greater than our God, the God of heaven and earth. So when you get stuck in the boat, remember this. Fear the Lord and show the others with you. Amen.